Good morning. It's great to be here with you this morning. Um, the topic this morning uh, is hope, and I hope it goes well. Um, I, I, I do want to tell you that if, if you fall asleep and wake up a few minutes from now, let me tell you what the point is, and just in case that happens. Uh, the reason that we struggle with hopelessness is we hope our hopes are too small. And that'll make sense as we open up the scripture together. But it's amazing to me that how, how we have this love-hate relationship with the idea of hope. In one sense, we, in one sense, if there's not hope, if there's not hope for the future, then we don't do much in the present. I mean, why does a kid practice basketball in the middle of the summer? Well, not because he's being rewarded to do so, not because he's, not, not because somebody's, it's, it's not that he's being rewarded like a Pavlovian dog or something. The reason he practices in the summer is what he wants to be in October is on the team. How he sees his future determines very much of how he lives presently. If there is no hope in the future, there's very little energy for the present. And so the idea of hope is really important because it really does gives us our energy. But at the same time, We have a a problem with hope. We don't want to get our hopes up. We've been so disappointed. We've been so discouraged. Things haven't always worked out the way we want. And so we have this odd sense of we wrestle with cynicism and we, we, we don't want to get our hopes up. And my suggestion this morning is not the problem that you, you've got your hopes on too big of things that you hope on, you've got your hopes on too small of things. And that's why you wrestle with hopelessness. My, my prayer this morning, my hope this morning is that we'll leave here with a fresh sense of God's hope for us. You can't really live without hope. You know, I saw, I heard this week that, that families and households that make under $13,000 a year in the U.S., that would be significantly below the poverty line, spend 9% of their income on lottery tickets. It's about $1,000 a year out of 13000 Now, you might say, well, that seems to be, that's poor stewardship. No, that's a desperate family thinking there is no hope. And so they'll throw their, what little they have toward the only hope they think they have to get out of the hole they're in. It's a sense of, it's a, it's, it's a desperate way of trying to figure out how to find hope. Sometimes, Well, I'll tell you, before we go any further and talk about hope or or look at the word of God and see what he might have to teach us about hope this morning, before we talk about him and before we look at his word, let's talk to him. Let's pray together this morning. Dear Father, thank you for the privilege to be here this morning. Pray that you would blow through here like a mighty wind this morning. You know everyone in this room and you've brought us here together. You know the people that are hopeless this morning. You know the people that are barely hanging on. You know the people that, that argued on the way here. Father, there's not a person in this room that isn't someone that you know better than they even know themselves. So would you undo us this morning with your word would you give us a sense of, of new life and hope in you? 
Father, for the people in this room that are too comfortable, would you use this time to disrupt them? For the people that are disrupted, would you use this time to comfort them? We pray these things in the powerful, powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. There's something about hope that we, we sometimes think is foolish. It's like the, the, the father who went to the, who, got late, who came in late to see his son's first baseball game. And he rushes to the game and he sees his son still in the dugout and his team was out on the field and he rushed over to the, to the dugout and went up to the fence and said, son, what's the score? Son said, 18 to nothing. We're behind. And the, and the father says, well, you must be discouraged. The son looked surprised and said, not discouraged. We haven't had that chance to bat yet. That's sometimes how we see hope. We kind of see it as just a foolishness. There are people who believe our faith is foolishness. There were, uh, there, there, Freud believed that, that what we had done is we'd created a, a father that we never had. And it's really just the way that it, gave, it gives us this false sense of hope. And so that we have hope, so we don't have to live in the despair. I was talking to somebody this past week who said that they believed that Christianity and faith was good for people. It gave them something to believe in, a a hope, kind of like the little boy on the playground, to not get too discouraged. If that's all it is, we're fools. The Bible would say that's not all it is. The Bible would just suggest there is something to hope for. No. That's wrong. There's someone to hope in. Now, be aware that this is pretty significant. In my field, depression is the common cold of mental illness. Depression is, is, is everywhere. And at the, at the base, if you were to talk about what are the symptoms of depression, one of them would be hopelessness. The most simple way to talk about depression, it's a blocked goal that's become unattainable that they don't have hope to obtain anymore. Somebody had a goal to be loved. Someone had a goal to get a good job. Someone had a goal that their children would turn out this way. Whatever that important goal was in their lives, they said, this is what I want. This, is, this, is, this will mean life to me. And then it gets blocked. And when it first gets blocked, they might get angry. They might try harder. They might work a little more. But at the end of the day, if that, gets, if that blocked goal becomes unattainable, what happens is Depression. Because there's this loss of hope. There's a sense of hopelessness. By, by definition, depression is a, is, a, is, is, is a hopelessness. And we all find ourselves there sometimes. And so this week, when I knew that this is what we would talk about, I started looking through scripture and saying, where can we learn about somebody who, who lived this out in a way different than I tend to live it out? I tend to get discouraged and, and, to, and to hope in little things. I found in Romans 4, there's a passage that talks about Abraham. And it, and, it, and it says that he was someone who really hoped. It talked about the, 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 the fact that he, that he was promised a child that would then become, that, that nations would come out of his line. But his wife couldn't have children and they were too old. And, and then it talks about how he hoped. 
It even has a great line it's in, in, in the 18th verse, I believe, in chapter 4. It says that he hoped against hope. That, that he hoped that much. And I thought, well, that's somebody we ought to study. If I struggle with hope and you struggle with hope and we struggle with, with, with well, maybe we ought to study a little bit about how, how he dealt with that. And so that'll take us to the passage we're going to look at this morning. We're going to spend a little bit of time in Genesis chapter 17. Now, you know the story well. It's, it's probably one of, the most ref, it's, it's one of the most referenced Old Testament texts from the New Testament. It's when God shows up with Abram. Now, just a little backstory, in case you're just to, just to help you remember, it was about two decades earlier that God made the promise to Abram. God made the promise to Abram that he would, that from him there would be a line that the, 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 the nations would come from him, that he would have a son, and that that, that that generations would follow after him, that the family of God would begin right here in his line. That was about 20 years earlier. 10 years after that promise, he got a little discouraged because it didn't seem like things were going particularly well. You ever have your hope in time and luck? And so he, he decided to take things into his own, his own plans. And he and his wife came up with a plan B, and that was that he would sleep with the kitchen help and that that would produce a child, and it did. And that child... Um, and that child uh, was 13 years old at this point. Um, and then God shows up. At this point, I would suggest to you that Abram doesn't seem to be this great person who hoped against hope. I would suggest to you at this point that Abram was like kind of you and I. He trusted in circumstances. Circumstances didn't look very good. I mean, it's too late for us to have children. God made a promise. It's not going to work because the circumstances are wrong. The circumstances are wrong. You see, if you have your hope in just circumstances alone, you will be disappointed. They rarely work. And things often look bleak. Circumstances alone, if that's where your hope is, it's too small of a thing to have your hope in. And you'll be disappointed. Abram initially had his hope in circumstances and and those weren't working out. I think the next thing that people tend to have their hope in is luck or timing. The idea of timing is the, you know, it's going to work. Timing. I, I've been particularly bad at timing in my life. As a matter of fact, I, I could really settle right here. The, the problem with the economic downturns in America, I, I really could explain those to you right now if you'd like to know what happened. I, I've got the... I've got the explanation for it. It's, it's all about timing. Whenever I decided it was time to invest, those <laughs> things crashed. It, it was, it's, just, it's been an amazing, it's been an amazing journey. Uh, many years ago, when, during the Clinton years, when things were going up, I, I, wasn't, I, I didn't have a lot of money. I wasn't invested in anything. And I remember sitting around, sitting with somebody and saying, well, I think I'm being a bad steward. I, I can't believe, look at the economy. It's just just. I mean, the stock market's just going everywhere, I think. I mean, my grandkids will say, why didn't you invest during this time someday when, we're, you know, when, when they have no food? Because they're, 
their grandfather was just a poor steward. And I said, I need to invest. And then I, I did it immediately. It just kind of tanked. And then the same thing happened this last time. I, as soon as, so I am the, the one uh, predictor uh, of the economy that most people don't know about. Um, but it has been completely based on when I step in, the economy crashes. And when I get out, it gets, back, it gets better. I think they should pay me for that. I, I don't know. <laughs> so often, we'll, we'll hope on luck, on timing, on... And at that point, you look at Abram. What do you see with Abram? He, 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 he just got tired of waiting. Do you ever get tired? Do you ever get tired? Yeah, I believe God's going to do something, but... And I'm just tired. It's, I've been waiting too long. So he was waiting and he got tired of waiting. And, and then the third thing he trusted, he had his hope in, was his cleverness. I'll come up with a plan. I can do this. I'll make it work. I've got my own ideas. We'll, I'll sleep with Hagar and, and, and that'll work. Well, that'll, that's what God really wanted to do. Yeah, I believe in God's, I mean, God's purposes are right, but I, God just didn't get the details right. I will take care of it myself. I'll do it my way. I'll trust my good schemes. I'll trust my good plans. I'll trust my best efforts. Pile your hope on those three things if you want. And you'll end up depressed. Because you hope on a too small of a thing. You hope. It's not that you want too much. It's not that you hope on too much. Your hopes are on too small a thing. Well, let's look at the text together and see. We have a tendency to hope on smaller things like circumstances or luck or our own good favors or even on other people like Hagar, another person, that person, that's the golden person. That will, I've got my hope on that. Never works out. Beginning of chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, he was 86 when uh, Ishmael was born. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down. And God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You'll be the father of many nations. No longer you'll be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and the descendants after you and the generations to come. And I will be their God and, and, the, and the God of your descendants after you in the land of Cana where you now are an alien. I will give to you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. And I will be their God. And it continues. I would encourage you this week to read this chapter. We could do six week series on this. We could spend, it's one of the richest chapters in all of the Bible. But since we're just talking about hope and since since Abram, Abraham is mentioned as the person who hoped in Romans, I thought, let's pull just the idea of what we could hope for from this passage. I think if I'd showed up after somebody had tried to do a plan B on me, I, I'm not, I think I would have started my 
conversation with Abraham saying, Abram, what's wrong with you? What were you thinking? But see, that would be basing it on a smaller story. Instead, he begins by talking about himself. And he says, I am God Almighty. Because that's where ultimately at the end of this time together, that's the only place that is big enough for the kind of hope you're made to have. If you, if you, if you hope on anything less, you'll, you'll just find yourself discouraged, disappointed, cynical, and depressed. I, I mean, it's, it's just true. Because those things don't ultimately come through. So God started not by correcting his little hopes, not by correcting his little hopes, but by reminding him where his hope would be in. So he begins by telling him he's God Almighty. Notice a couple of things with me, if you would. First of all, notice how many times in, 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 the, in the Hebrew understanding, if you want to emphasize things, you repeat it. In the Old Testament, if the, like what we do is we would capitalize it or change the font on the computer. My son tells me that if you text in capital letters, it's like you're yelling. I, I didn't know that. That's kind of interesting. Um, but in Hebrew, if you want to emphasize, you don't. You, you, what you do is you repeat. You say it over and over again in the text. It, it's, it, it, it leads to a crescendo. This week, when you reread this text, look at how often the words I will are used. Over and over again, it starts with I will, I will, I will, I will. And finally, by the end of this section, God is is shouting to Abraham, I will, I am God Almighty, I will, I will. He then says he's a covenant God. He's reminding Abram that if you want to have hope, You can't have hope based on a deal. You see, you and I are consumers. The way we think is, I'll do my part if you do your part. I'll go to to Publix to buy my groceries as long as it's a pretty good deal. I'll do my part if they do their part. As soon as they don't do their part very well, I'll go to someplace else. Because I'm a consumer. I'll do my part, you do your part. That's not the way God is. And he's reminding Abraham of that. He's saying, wait a minute. I'm a covenant God. What's a covenant mean? Now you just go two chapters earlier and you see this where, where this first plays out, where the promise is made with Abram. And what happens is that Abram takes the, the sacrifice of animals like they would do back in the day. And he cut them and he put them out. And, and what they would do, I know this, I mean, Peter would never be excited about this in today's day and time, but what they would do is they would cut open animals and they would separate them and, and you would make a covenant, a covenant. I would walk in between the animals as if to say, if I break this, let me be torn apart like these animals, which seems like a bad deal, except the other person would walk back through the other direction and there was a covenant. That's what takes place in a marriage. I'll do my part whether you do your part. No, I'll do my part whether you do your part. That's the covenant, the idea of I will come through. And, and that's the promise God makes. But if you go back two chapters, what you'll see is that when, 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 he, when Abram tear, does this to the animals, then God has him fall asleep. And in the dream, Abram sees the pillar of smoke, sees the essence of God come through. And God is at that point saying, I will do my part. 
And then he doesn't have Abram walk back through. It's the great promise of God's covenant that he will do his part whether we do our part or not. Because that's, you see, God is telling you, if you want to have hope in a fallen world, it will not come from you. It will not come from your abilities, your cunning strength, your timing, your luck, your circumstances. It must come from the one who transcends it, that will do his part no matter what. That's the promise. And so he doesn't just say, I will, I will, I will. I will do what I said. He says, I'm a covenant God, a covenant. And I've made a covenant with you that I'll do what I said I'll do. Not only is he a God who will, he's a God who makes a covenant. He does it in spite of what might seem logical to us. Follow down in the text and what happens next. After all those promises, after all those promises, God then says, all right, Abraham, this is what you need to do. Now, if you're Abraham at this point, now, and what, is, what else? There's so much for us to learn in this. What else does he do? He changes his name. He gives him an identity, a different identity. He calls him to all the generations that he's going to take. You see, your hope, our hope is not just in this life. If our hope is just in this life, then we'll end up hoping small and not moving on. No, the hope is for a greater, what does he say? Generations after generations. All of you, all of us in this room that know Christ are at some level, are, are, are mentioned here. Because we are, we are part of the family of God that was spoken of in this moment. It is out of Abraham's line that Jesus is born and out of Jesus' birth and then death, we're invited in and adopted into the family of God. When you were a child and you sang, Father Abraham had seven sons, remember that? That's, just, that's all the singing I'll, I'll do today. I, I, I promise there will be no more singing for me today. Uh, you were singing about your father Abraham because the promise was made there. You see, If you believe, if all you believe that this world is all you've got, if you've got all your hopes in this world, you're you're sunk. It's really interesting. It was, um, um, let me make sure I say his name correctly. Brezhnev, the, the Russian leader. When he died... Now, this is a leader of of communist Russia. When he died, his wife stood silent by the open coffin. And she stood there by the coffin. And right before they closed the coffin, when the soldiers touched the lid to begin to close it, she then did an act of civil disobedience and courage that is rarely, I've rarely ever heard of. This wife of the communist leader reached down as, the, as they were closing the lid on the coffin and made a cross on his chest, hoping, hoping and betting that her husband was wrong, hoping that this life wasn't all there is, hoping as she stood at his, at, his, at his coffin that there was more than just what he had been preaching for all those years, 
and that maybe the God that does live eternally would have mercy on his soul as she crossed his chest as they closed the coffin. Our hope, our problem, the reason we struggle with hope is we hope on small things. We hope on our circumstances. We hope on our skills and our talents. We hope on our luck and our timing. And God is saying, oh, Don't settle for such small things. You're made for bigger hope. Your problem with your hope is not that you want too much as that you settle for too little. Hope in me, for I'm the eternal God who does what he says. Hope in me, a covenant God. Hope in me that is aware of the generations that go past beyond you. Hope in me, an eternal God, not a temporal God. Even when it seems foolish, what happens next in this text is seems foolish to man's eyes. Abram, Abram is now Abraham because God changes his identity. He says, you're no longer that, you're this, you're mine. You're the father of many nations. And then what happens is God says, now here's your part. Now you can imagine Abraham going, okay, you've made all these promises, I kind of messed things up. I kind of believe you, I think. Okay, back up the truck, dump the truck. What am I going to have to do? It's probably going to have to be a lot. And then he, then he tells them that everyone needs to be circumcised. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you're to keep, every male among you shall be circumcised, undergo circumcision, and that will be the sign of the covenant between me and you for generations to come. Now, I realize we're all, we've all heard all this before. But he'd never heard any of this before. And my guess is his thought was, what? You, you want me to do what? We're, we're supposed to do what? You see, sometimes hope in something this big Hope in something this true when we live in such falsehood. Hope in something this great when we live in in petty lives seems foolish to us. And sometimes God's ways will sound crazy to us and foolish to us. And I know I've heard the theologians say, well, yes, uh, that's not foolish. That was not, not, uh, we need the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sin. Well, yeah, but cut my finger. I mean, that's where blood is too. I I mean, it is. Part of your hope, don't hope in your logic. Don't hope in your ability to figure it out because it's bigger than you. Don't hope so small. See, our hope is is in a person. Our hope is in God and and the eternal world. That's either, either a fairy tale and we're all foolish little animals or that's the greatest truth that the universe hangs on. 
And he's invited you to live in that big story. C.K. Chesterton said that, he said, hope means nothing unless things are hopeless. It's no virtue at all. As long as, as long as everything is hopeful, hope is just flattery and platitude. It's only when everything is hopeless that hopeless begins to be a, hope, hoping begins to be a strength. There is an unseen world and you know it. When you were a little boy and little girl, you knew it. You, you would see it in the, you'd see it in the flowers, you'd see it in the wind, you'd see it, you, you'd see it in the calling, you'd see it in a, in a sunrise or a sunset. You knew there was more than just this. There was an echo somewhere inside of you that there's something more than just this life. You knew it. it it's, it's been calling you. It's been, it's been drawing you to it from the very, very beginning. It's been saying, don't settle for a small story. Don't settle for little things. It was when you were a little boy and you were going to be the, you were going to play professional baseball where you were a, a girl or you, maybe you were going to play professional baseball too as a girl. I mean, I don't want to sound sexist. Or you might have wanted to be an actress or a ballerina and you were going to be the best. You were going to write the new American novel. Why? Because in your little mind, that's the biggest you could think of. But in God's mind, it's even bigger than that. You were made for eternity and your life was made to touch eternity and the decisions you make and the conversations you have are pregnant with the possibility of of eternity. The reason you don't hope anymore is you hope too small. And this morning, what I want to invite you to do is maybe remind you that you have a great hope in the person of Christ who invites you to be a part of a grand story with a God who will, with a covenant God. A God that is eternal. So for you, for for me, our hope's not in lottery tickets. Our hope's not in the way they market sports at some level is, is on the idea of this year we might win. It's all based on hope. If they got out there and said, only one team's going to win the championship and it probably won't be ours. Well, we'd like you to buy tickets anyway because we've got this big arena. And we're going to be really, really, really bad this year. But come on down, it'll be fun. (laughs) Nobody'd come. But what do they do? They kind of make it sound like just maybe, just maybe hope against hope. Maybe, maybe one of the rookies will be really good. Maybe, maybe we might get a good draft choice. Maybe something will happen. We could, and we're going to take on the best teams and we might win. They're selling hope. But it's a little hope. 
What God's offering is not a little hope, but the true hope of relationship with him. This week, there's so much we could talk about in this passage. Read it. Read this passage. There's so much to talk about of, of, of just one last thing quickly. Even your foolishness can't take away God's hope. Look how this story ends. This story ends with Abraham, after all these promises, Abraham finally says, okay, that's great, but isn't there any way Ishmael could have your blessing as well? Instead, after all the promises, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do what I said I do. You're going to have a son. It's, I'm going to do everything. Abram still says, uh, could we do a different plan? Is there another plan we could do? Still trusting his ideas. They even laugh when he says that, they even laugh when they say that, uh, that, that, uh, that she's going to have a baby. Your foolishness can't even thwart the real hope that's found in him. This morning, I just want to remind you that hope is not something you hustle up. Hope's not something you buy. It doesn't float. Hope is the reality, is the true reality that the God of the universe has called you into his family. And with him in you, he wants you to be about his big story of glory. That's a hope worth betting on. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the reminder reminder that our hope is in you. Father, we confess to you this morning that we hope in our circumstances and we hope in our plans and we just hope in small, small things. So would you refresh anew in us? Father, for some people in this room, it's been since they were just children. They've never really answered that aching call, that longing in their soul that they know is true, that's your call to them. Oh, Father... Don't let him leave this day without without responding. For the rest of us, Father, remind us. Remind us of that longing, that desire you put in us. And take away from us that stubborn hope in little things. Replace it with the true hope in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.